Welcome to the Greener Way podcast, a show about people, planet, and purpose, and how investors and corporate leaders push forward in a complex world. On this episode brought to you by First Centier Investors, we're talking responsible investment from the top down and the bottom up and how an institutional investor builds its responsible investment strategy throughout the organization. Joining us for this conversation is FSI Global Head of Responsible Investment, Kate Turner, who's pretty much everywhere when it comes to the big discussions on responsible investment. Kate, thanks so much for joining us. Can you give, you, give a little bit more information on yourself and your role at FSI? Sure. Thanks for having me, Rachel. Um, so my role is Global Head of Responsible Investment at First Centre Investors, and that involves working with a range of stakeholders across the business, but primarily our investment teams, but also stakeholders externally to deliver on our RI strategy. Okay. So what does that mean from sort of a functional perspective, Kate, uh, when you say that you're, you're sort of that uh, in, within that global role? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm in charge of the responsible investment team. And really, we as a team have four different sort of main roles that we work through. Um, so the first is supporting our investment teams. This could be ad hoc requests. So it might be if a company in a portfolio is involved in a controversy, supporting them with data needs, helping them with voting if they need support on that, and then bigger, more strategic pieces of work. Um, so for example, the last couple of years, we've done a lot of work with the investment teams on biodiversity. We look at how we can collaborate across the firm and pool our resources where it makes sense really bringing those teams together. I've always been really fascinated by how FSI approaches responsible investment. And you and I have had a lot of conversations over the years around this and also the way it's sort of done from the top and then how it applies to each investment team and its asset class. Can you go into a little bit further as to why having a global RI team while also allowing individual teams to tailor their RI approaches in line with their asset class can enhance uh, portfolio investment and other outcomes? Sure. Whenever I think about uh, responsible investment and how it's integrated in different ways into different organizations, my starting point mentally is always a piece of research that Sustainalytics conducted in 2017. It's called Typologies of ESG Investment. And effectively what they did is they interviewed 70 institutional investors, did desktop research on them as well on how they approach ESG and came up with these six different types of ESG integration, which they have on a spectrum from fully centralized approach where there's a large central RI team that does ESG research, they do engagement, they do voting, they produce exclusion lists, all the way down to fully decentralised where the investment teams are doing all of those things themselves. And what that research found is there was no one right way to do ESG integration. There are pros and cons to each type of course, as you would expect. But one of the really interesting findings that has definitely stuck with me over the years is that more decentralized approaches tend to lead to more genuine ESG integration if, and this is a a huge if, uh, there's strong conviction from the members of the investment team. If there isn't, then it just doesn't work. And the reason for that is you have your investment team members, whether that's PMs or analysts who are making investment decisions and engaging with companies on ESG, they're voting their shares, they're doing research on companies on ESG issues. And that's a really powerful combination when we're looking at meaningful ESG integration. So with that sort of framing, I'll explain a little bit about First Century Investors. We have 15 different investment teams and they invest across a series of asset classes. So that might be listed equities, fixed income, direct infrastructure, 
And every single team has a distinct philosophy and approach. And given given what I've said, that there's no one-size-fits-all approach to ESG integration, we, we take the view at FSI that investment teams themselves are the ones who are best placed to integrate ESG in a way that fits with their investment process and their investment philosophy, and that that's going to lead to more meaningful investment outcomes. So as you say, we, you know, that that's the bottom up part of the approach, I suppose. We do have um, the top down um, part of it as well. And that's where the RI team comes in. And as I explained previously, our role is first and foremost to support our investment teams in doing all of those things. But we do have a number of other roles as well. So we also uh, support thought leadership. Either we do that through our team or in partnership with investment teams. And we also have a first centia MUFG Sustainable Investment Institute that produces thought leadership as well. Um, so really trying to support our teams, but also the broader market to address some of these big challenging issues that we're facing. Mm. And thirdly, uh, the RI team itself does a lot of industry and stakeholder engagement. So we participate in a number of industry associations. We bring those opportunities to the investment teams as well. But we also coordinate a lot of policy advocacy for the broader organisation, trying to make sure that we've got the right sustainable finance policy in place, but also real world policy in place to help them invest um, Mm. in the best way that they can. Mm. So now, oh, sorry, Kate, um, but I just wanted to f- uh, dig in on one little term mm-hmm. you keep using through this. When you talk about supporting your internal teams, is that sort of the toolkit approach, um, which, again, has been a large part of our conversations mm-hmm. over the years? Um, and can you sort of give a little bit more detail um, on why FSI has taken this approach of developing um, toolkits that cover some of the big issues like modern slavery and human rights um, and then using that as a way of um, leveraging the individual team's expertise to, to for greater outcomes. Sure, that's that's definitely one way um, that we support the investment teams, but not the only way. But I'll I'll start with the toolkits. So this started. We did our first toolkit back in 2013, so long before I joined First Century Investors, and that was on stranded assets. And the theory behind it was. There are these large systemic issues that are going to affect different asset classes in different ways, but they're going to affect everyone. So can we bring together those stakeholders to learn from experts and to learn from each other to to really try and understand those issues? And can we give the team some tools that they can take um, back to their teams to think about these issues. So it started with stranded assets. We did a series of of work on climate change. We had a working group together working on modern slavery back in 2020. And as I mentioned, most recently, we've done a lot of work on biodiversity with a focus on freshwater and forests. And really, it has it has it's an optional uh, it's an optional working group for investment teams to participate in, and and some. Issues are going to impact some investment teams more than others, so that tends to drive uh, participation. But we bring those teams together. We bring experts in. The teams talk with each other. Often, um, you know, we might bring in a company that we invest in or a company that we don't invest in. Sometimes we might go to some company meetings together to really try and refine our view on the issues and what the best practice is. And the end product for a lot of those a lot of those working groups has been a toolkit that is a really high level set of tools to help the teams identify and address those issues within the investment process. And that's almost where the work starts for the investment teams because how they address it is going to look very different if they're a quant investor or a fundamental bottom-up investor or a direct investor, for example. So then the teams go back 
go back to their teams and we work with them to say, well, what does this issue mean for us and, and how can we use these tools to better understand and address it? And uh, throw back to an earlier episode of for Sentier Inve- uh, of the Greener Way, where we talked with your colleague, Joanne, about mm-hmm. the biodiversity toolkit. Um, and I think one of the more interesting facets of that particular piece of work um, is that you actually made it publicly available, uh, which is an unusual call for a fund manager, but I think sort of testament to sort of that um, that systemic level work that you tend to do as responsible investors as well. Yeah, I think we're, we're never going to solve for any of these issues on our own and, and we'd be foolish to think that we could. So I think a lot of the work that we do and the work that the RI team drives is working through how can we collaborate on some of these issues. So mm-hmm. with each of the pieces of work that we've done, we've tried to either make it public or try to make the solutions public. So um, as you mentioned, the Investors Can Assess Nature Now guide is the work that we've done on biodiversity with modern slavery. One of the things that came out of that is if if we're struggling to find the right way to engage with companies on modern slavery, then others other investors probably are too, which is what led to us convening Investors Against Slavery and Trafficking, which is a collaborative mm-hmm. initiative uh, to engage with companies in the APAC region on modern slavery and labour exploitation. Mm, which uh, has driven some really interesting outcomes. Um, I certainly have enjoyed reading the benchmark reports that you've done every year tracking your progress on that. Thank you. I think it's it's really important to try and um, to try and measure some of the topics that are harder to measure when it comes to ESG. Of course, enjoy is um, a relative term given the subject matter that we're talking about. <laughs> now, before I made you go down the byways on what a toolkit is and some of the ways that you sort of drive work with your supporters, I think I interrupted you making a bit of a point there, Kate. Can, do you want me to let you pick up where we were before? <laughs> uh, the the only point I was going to make is is really the last the last role of our team is that governance of responsible investment across the organisation. So. As, as an organisation, we obviously need to report to the PRI. We need to report under a number of regulations. Globally, we produce an RI report every year. So that's a, a big convening role that our team plays in bringing that all together. I am so glad you made that point because it dovetails so nicely into the next question is how do you <laughs> actually track that RI performance at both, you know, as at that global head of responsible investment and then within each investment team? Mm-hmm. Um, this is something that's evolved a lot through the years, I've noticed, again, in reading these annual reports. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would start by saying, and I think this really speaks to our whole of firm approach that the RI team is not an oversight function where we're there to enable and, and support the investment teams as opposed to oversee what they're doing. We do have assurance um, through our investment assurance team that does sustainability assurance alongside all of the other types of assurance that they do. Um, so when we're kind of when we're when you say tracking performance, I guess in terms of the in terms of the RI report and other reporting that we do, we're really trying to demonstrate the progress that we've been making on particular topics uh, that we're focused on, and that is is such a challenging thing for us to do because it looks so different from one team to the next, depending on whether they take a qualitative approach or a quantitative approach, depending on whether they have a sustainable investment objective. And of course, depending on where the products are marketed, there might be different regulatory requirements in terms of what we're, what we're trying to track. But I would say that um, central to all of our teams is that we do have a set of beliefs and commitments around responsible investment and how the teams do implement and monitor these um, is, is done by that investment assurance team. What's interesting to me, Kate, is 
you know, because for a centier has been doing this kind of reporting for so many years, um, it almost appears that you were you were ready to meet increased regulatory reporting demands, um, such as the EU's SFDR. Um, I talked with Belinda White recently about your first principal adverse impacts report, which looked at gender diversity and gender pay gap. Uh, thank you, Rachel. I'm, I'm not I'm not sure that we are, you know, advanced in, in being able to meet those regulatory requirements because they've certainly, um, you know, washed over over us and the rest of the industry in terms of the magnitude of those requirements. And I think, you know, there's there's so much more to come. But I think one thing that's that's interesting about the SFDR and how they think about principal adverse impacts is that that understanding of what are the unintended consequences of our investment decisions. I think a lot of the sustainable finance strategies we've seen globally have taken a climate first approach and the Australian government has suggested that they'll do that now. Whereas the SFDR recognises with the principal adverse impacts that yes, you can be addressing climate change, but you need to be thinking about all of these other potentially unintended consequences of those investment decisions, one of which is around gender, but also around things like human rights and biodiversity diversity. Mm. And I think that's increasingly what, what we're seeing is this confluence of sustainability issues. And this has come up time and time again over the past few years in relation to the work we're doing on human rights, what we're doing on climate change and what we're doing on biodiversity is that we need to solve for all of these things simultaneously. Otherwise, we risk solving for one issue and mm-hmm. making others worse and harder to solve for in the long term. This is where uh, sustainability and improv share the characteristic of yes and. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I wanted to ask a little bit more about your personal story, uh, Kate, because I know you come to investment management from a non-finance background. How did you go from law to finance and Mm -hmm. and what's sort of the through line in sort of your personal uh, professional ethics on this one? Sure, sure. So I started uh, as a graduate lawyer at Baker McKenzie in their environmental markets and climate change team. So that's that would be the through line for you. There's mm-hmm. always been a focus a focus on climate change and human rights from my studies um, to the beginning of my career. And really, what led me to sustainable finance, ironically, perhaps, is love. Um, so <laughs> at the time when I was working at Baker McKenzie in Sydney, my partner had a graduate position also, but he was working in London. So we had one year of a long distance relationship. Um, And after that, I decided to move over to London and went to work for one of our clients, which was an investment bank in their sustainable finance team. And this was really the very early days of of sustainable finance and one of the Mm -hmm. first teams of its kind. So I spent four years in London and I was structuring deals around renewable energy and energy efficiency projects across Africa. And When I moved back to Australia, I really wanted to continue to work in sustainable finance because I really believe in the power of finance when they're making better informed decisions that consider ESG factors that leads to that leads to better investments, um, but can also lead to positive real world outcomes. So not exactly a conventional (laughs) career path, uh, but I can honestly say I've never been bored at work in my whole career, which is something to really be grateful for. Absolutely. And look, we share this in common. I ended up where I am through uh, through love as well and uh, a stint in London before coming to Melbourne. So I, uh, I certainly have a lot of empathy with uh, the journey of life and uh, professional and personal. It keeps things interesting. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So finally, Kate, what are the responsible investment priorities for 2024 and what can we expect from you and your colleagues? 
Yeah, I think, I mean, the joy and the challenge of this industry is that I can start the year with priorities, uh, <laughs> but what I end up working on might be something entirely different. I feel, you know, constantly reminded of that quote, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. I think that was, mm-hmm. that was, mm-hmm. could have been written for responsible investment practitioners. Um, but if I think through, you know, what, what I would like those priorities to be, certainly from an Australian angle, I'm really hoping that we're going to get ample opportunities to engage with the Australian government on their sustainable finance strategy. I'm really keen to bring our perspective from other regulations globally um, and from our sort of broad range of asset classes and strategies um, to those consultations to really ensure that that strategy supports investors to allocate capital to sustainable investments that are going to deliver the outcomes that we need to solve for those systemic issues that we're facing. That was such a long sentence, but I think it's I think it's so important to keep front and centre of the strategy mm. that that's what we're trying to to solve for because otherwise we can end up down rabbit warrens in terms of disclosure or other things that aren't necessarily leading us to where we need to go. Mm. So that would be that would be my first uh, priority for the year, and then I think um, or, or one of my priorities, and I think another one is really around that confluence of sustainability issues and how we can think about some of these things more holistically. Like you've said, we've produced a number of toolkits over the years, but we can't just produce, can continue producing toolkits forever and ever. We really need to think holistically about some of these things. And we tried to do that with biodiversity. Um, Mm -hmm. There are such gaps in biodiversity data that we've tried to take some of the modern slavery data and information that we have to see where those two things intersect. So really trying to um, bring that narrative together. Ooh, I love that the intersectionality of uh, of modern slavery, human rights, and biodiversity. Uh, we're leaning heavily on that, I think, editorially in twenty twenty four as well. Oh, good, good. I, I'm <laughs> yeah. I'm excited for I'm excited for that topic. I think it should be good. Me too. And I think you know, you know, without as we're wrapping this up, one of the things that really strikes me about the sustainable finance strategy is how much holistic thought is going into it, and sort of as each piece gets announced. Um, it refers back to the whole, um, which sort of reminds me a little bit again of how First Centier sort of approaches responsible investment, that you have these different parts, but there's the overarching philosophy behind it. Yeah, I think with, with anything to do with responsible investment, you can get so caught up in the weeds. And, and certainly, I think that my team and I have found that this year is there's constantly a need to step back and, and reevaluate where you're putting your time towards because there's no shortage of things to mm-hmm. spend time on. So really making sure that it's leading us in the direction that we want to go. Fantastic. Well, on that hopeful note, uh, you've been listening to Kate Turner, Global Head of Responsible Investment of First Centier Investors. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Rachel. Thanks for listening to the Greener Way podcast. If you like today's show, remember to rate and review us on your podcast platform and make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Any feedback? Contact us on podcast at fssustainability.com.au. I'm Rachel Allenbackis. The Greenaway Podcast is a product of FS Sustainability, a show about people, the planet, and investing in our collective future. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. The Greenaway Podcast gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by discussing numerous financial sustainable options and our featured guests. It is not intended as a substitute for professional, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of The Greener Way are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. 
FS Sustainability operates under an Australian Financial Service license and the exemption made available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect to any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the FS Sustainability website, fssustainability.com.au. This podcast is not a financial promotion by First Centier Investors and has been prepared for general information purposes only. It is not intended to be investment or financial advice and does not take into account the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or needs of any particular person. References to specific securities should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell such securities. First Centier Investors communicates and conducts business through different legal entities in different locations. Please refer to the notes sections of the podcast platform you use for more information on First Centier Investors in your region.